Okay, folks, welcome back to the episode seven of the Dad Bod Bible Real Men Talk, where I like to interview guys that I know or guys that I've heard of that I find interesting today. Again, I couldn't find another one, so I'm interviewing my mate, Neil Simpson. He um, happens to have been, he's an ex-Judo player, he was on the Great Britain squad. He's trying to get to the Commonwealth again, and he's a scummy United fan. And the two of us, for many, many years, have had deep debates about social uh, issues, and we've had disagreements, but we always seem to have this good ability to talk and fight without ever falling out. And I like these debates for good. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, uh, it's a bit hectic at the minute, you know, I just can't be anything, it sucks. <laughs> Whereabouts are you in London? We're, well, not really London, we're Windsor, so we're about a five, we're about a five minute walk away from Windsor Castle, your mate the Queen. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it, how's lockdown been over there, like has it been... Has it been very strange? Um, pretty much everything's closed. At, um, so yeah, like we've barely left. The, I've only left the house really to do grocery shopping and training, like going for a run or whatever for months now. So Small it, flat um, yeah, tiny mate. We're like, we can barely swing a cat in here. You've got one, one, one year old and one on the way. Yeah, all three of us in the one bedroom and um Another baby coming in May, so it's all of it. Um, it's all of it hectic, but hopefully we'll get moved home at some stage. Well, I was going to say the plan is to move home, is it? Yeah. Well, um, we're we're hoping towards the end of this year or maybe next year, but that's definitely the the plan at the minute. So. You're you're there for the <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, obviously the missus is going off on maternity leave soon, so we're gonna. We're going to see what happens with that and then um, sort of go from there. But yeah, it's all a bit up in the air with just, you know, all this COVID shit and whatever. So we're just kind of taking it day by day, really, and seeing what's what's happening. So talking about lockdown, uh, you, you used to feed at what weight? Uh, under 100 kilos. And what are you sitting at now? I, I weighed myself this morning. I was 103.5. What were you before I gave you one of my amazing programs? <laughs> I was about 113.5, so I've lost about 10 kilo. Jesus, mate, how did I actually get up that height? That weight? So I just because I did my shoulder in um, training, and I was about 95 kilo at the time. Um, and then I needed a few steroid injections in my shoulder. Oh, that actually so I started. I started coming back from that, and then I had this problem in my mouth. Well, I thought it was, I kept getting sinus infections and every time I tried to go back. But no, I kept going back to training and kept getting really run down. Couldn't figure out what it was. Um, so it turned out I had a problem with the tooth and it, it gave me an infection in my jaw. So I had to go and get that surgery on that. And then the month after that, Isaac was born. So I sort of I said, right, I'll give myself a month or two to sort of settle. Oh really? There's a there's a very there's a very strong playback. Can you hear that playback? No. Yeah, I think it's I think it's my I think it's this laptop. It's not the crap laptop. Uh, I think so. Let me just try and adjust that volume of it. Let me see if that works. 
that any better? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. That's all right, listen, it, it is what it is. We're just having a conversation anyway, so it's what it is. But um, you were saying you got the mouth, you got an operation. Yeah, so I had to get surgery on my mouth and then, or my jaw. And then Isaac was born and I said, right, I'll give myself a month or two to sort of settle in with the kid and everything. And then, <laughs> no, I was I had fully intended to go back training. And of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> The words, the words of a virgin parent, I will do this. <laughs> the culture yeah, shock. I, <laughs> I, um, I, went, I wanted to go back and then lockdowns came, came in. And because I, I'm not living at the judo club anymore, I will, I'm not allowed to train. The elite players are still allowed to train because they all live there. So they're considered a, a bubble. But because I'm living off-site, I wasn't allowed to train. So it was one of those things. It was, you know, things kind of snowballed. And then the next, before you know it, 18 months have gone by and you've just been sitting on your hold doing nothing and eating shite for You see, this is why I like the interview today because what you've just done is what every single father on the planet has ever done. Have a baby, uh, think they're going to train. Oh, I love my sport. Bang, I'm a fat shite now. Uh, most, I'd say 90%, never get into that I'm a fat shite now in fact they become even fatter shite now because how did you what this is the difference between and I always try to tell people you know it's not the situation it's how you deal with the situation how you respond oh absolutely so what was it made you what is it as an elite fighter because I'm going to call you elite even though you don't deserve it I'm going to call you you've you've listened Getting on the GP team in judo is not a fucking small feat. Like that's a, that's a big no, no, it's, a, it's a quite a big thing, yeah. And you know something? I can remember when we I trained you in Ironfit. Um, you tell you were in your blue belt, and you told me it was like a McGregor story. You told me you were going to get to the British team, and you were going to win Welsh medal. And you're going for it again. I well, people thought it was a bit mental when I said that um, at the I beginning. I thought it was like. Um, I start obviously started. People start their whatever martial art they're doing when they're uh, quite young. But I only started judo when I was twenty-seven, um, so it was coming from a long way back. And I went to train full time after I'd only been training for eleven months, I think. And you know, most people only go full time after they've been training for about eleven years. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit mental, but um, it was just one of those things. I just thought I could I just felt like I could do it and um I thought I didn't have any responsibilities at the time no kids no wife nothing like that and I said you know fuck it I'd rather die trying than um than never have a go at it so I just just went for it and you know when you train sorry you you could have been professional rugby could you or did you yeah so when I I came to the Ulster Rugby Academy when I was younger, uh, so I was a full-time rugby player for three years. Um, played for Ireland under twenties, Ireland under nineteens, Ireland schools, all that stuff. So yeah, I was, um, I'll say, semi-professional rugby player. Um, I was getting paid, but um, I played for the Ulster reserve team a few times. Never played for the senior Ulster team or anything, but yeah, I played at fairly fairly high standard of the rugby. Um, did you have a chance or did you know? Oh, I, should, I, think, um, I think I should have probably got a lot further than I did, but um, I was young and lazy. Um, 
I kind of, I think I was fairly naturally talented. And for a long time, I just skated by on being naturally talented. Um, and then you start, that, that only gets you so far, you know, when you're with young guys. And as soon as you start to go up into the pro ranks, if you're not, if you're not acting like a professional, you're going to get found out. And um, I had like shit, didn't train hard, went out in the piss all the time, you know, and um, so right, rightfully so, it didn't, it didn't go any further. And um, after about a year of blaming everyone except myself, um, I kind of came to the realization that it was actually my fault. And, uh, you know, I just, I didn't get where I, I wanted to go. And um, what, what, was the, that, what was the realization? What, what was it that the, when the penny dropped? What happened? Um, I think the easy option is to always point fingers and just blame other people. Um, and I think when I was young, you have that ego, you feel like you're entitled to things or, you know, I have this certain level of natural ability and that <laughs> should me, you know, to, to wherever. And then I, th I grew up in a very comfortable atmosphere, um, never really had to work too hard to get anything. And um, I think that was it kind of lulled me into that false sense of security that you just need to turn up and things will happen for you. Um, and then obviously as you become an adult, you realize that the world isn't actually like that. You actually have to earn everything that you get. And, um, but in, in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you literally took the words out of my thoughts would say that's probably the best lesson life could have give you. And yeah, like, it, um, it, not, it really knocked me down. Um, I was, you know, I was at university at the time um, in Jordanstown, so I was like a student athlete. Um, got in there on a scholarship thing or whatever, and um, was in Sinai Sports Institute, in Northern Ireland. I was in there, and um, so I was kind of training and studying at the same time. And um, yeah, so I had a and had a meeting with the Ulster Rugby lot. Um, they basically told me, "Heave ho." Um, we've had enough of you. Um, so I then dropped out of uni at the same time, sort of went into self-destruct mode. How did that rejection, how, how did you handle that? Was it, it self-destruct or did you go fuck it? Awful. Awful. I handled it like a child, probably, you know, um, threw my teddies out of the cot, like, fuck this, fuck you, fuck everyone else. Um, this is ridiculous. Um, sort of went off the rails a bit after that. Um, until, you know, life will knock you down to a certain point where you have to just honestly look in the mirror and uh, sort of came to that realisation of, yeah, that this is all sort of my own, my own doing. I remember, I think it was, it was either Jonathan Cook or Harry Gribben told me about you and they said, this kid's phenomenal judo, what do you see, this kid is a, he's a white, he's a white belt then, I think, or he's like... <laughs> This kid is just phenomenal. And this one, I was I was just getting out of the grappling stage. I just left Fed Academy Ireland to go to Iron Fit. But it was still, um, what age was it? Five years ago. I hadn't had replacement and all, so I was still grappling a bit and there was no problem. And I remember training you and just thinking, you're, you're, you wanted that high intensity, just murder me training. And you, you, you thrived off it. And I always, no. you, calm down. You're just, you're one of the kids. I think 
I took. I ended up taking a few years, a couple of years off, where I didn't. All I did was smoke and drink and eat shit, and you know, try and um, go in the self-destruct mode. But once I started to come back, um, you know, I've I've always had a good natural ability for sport. Like I've got good hand-eye coordination, and um, sort of for a big guy, I'm quite good on my feet, which is a massive benefit, you know, with judo and whatever. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the skills from rugby would transfer over quite well. Um, but obviously I was so unfit. Like, I think I was 120 kilos or something. You're a big lad. Like, you're a big 120 kilos of weight. I know. And I was only, like, I'm only six, just about six foot. <clears throat> so I'm not there to carry that kind of weight. So you're breaking up there. And um, can you get me now? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Just a Brief one. Um, yeah, so I'm like I'm just about shaving six foot. Um, so at 120 kilos, I was big, like I was, you know, big boy. But um, it wasn't. I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was horrendously out of shape <laughs> at that weight. I've always carried a fair bit of muscle. Ask my mum. My said I was really suited. <laughs> being no, but I was big. Like you know, I was fat and I was unfit and whatever and um as my brother said to me why don't you give judo a try and honestly i'd never i didn't even know how to say to him what is judo can you show me a video or whatever um because he'd been watching quite a bit of um mma back then and i'd never been into martial arts in any way it always just been rugby rugby you know your first, and, um, first martial art yeah yeah I thought you. I thought you had a wee bit of a martial art background as a kid or something. Get in the martial nope, arts. No, that's pretty impressive. The cut where you've got to. Uh, so he he showed me a video on YouTube. I think I think it was maybe of Ronda. I think she was in the UFC at the time. And he said, "Oh, this is judo. You, you know, it looks kind of similar to rugby, where you're throwing people about and whatever." So yeah, I just said, "Fuck it, I'll give it a give it a whirl." And uh, went on Google and looked up the nearest judo club to me, and um, went down, messaged the coach, um, who's um, a good, very good friend of mine now, and um, went down, and first night just loved it. You know, when one of those things just clicks in your head, and you think, I can't believe I haven't been doing this my whole life. And um, yeah, just kind of snowballed from there, yes. Isn't it sad, you know, like you've got someone like Japan or France who like the, the judo is basically part of the curriculum. It's part of life, you know. France, yeah. France is the second biggest, isn't it, in the world? It'd be close enough, yeah, I would yeah. say. Korea is massive. Um, is but Japan, I mean, it's just amazing what they do with, you know, they have, it, it is essentially like going to school. They go to, you know, they go to judo and... So it's no surprise they're so good, you know. So but, tell me, um, is, is, as, a, as an ex-fighter, rather than someone who wouldn't call himself a fighter, ex-coach, but who's fought, you don't go into a fight ever thinking you're going to lose. But how do you go into a fight against someone like a Japanese person who you know is just... That's just... That volume just went flying up there. Um, who's just like so far ahead of your abilities that you know mm. that's going to be... How do you psych yourself up to fight someone like that? I think um, 
for me, when I, when I was younger, I would have, ego would have got in the way when I was young and I would have thought I can beat anybody. But I, I think that that was the biggest thing getting into grappling for me. When I played rugby, you can hide a bit. You can sort of manage your way through games. You can stay away from situations you don't want to be in. You can't do that when you're grappling. Someone's got a hold of you and they're going to beat the shit out of you and there's nothing you can do to stop them. So it, it, it takes the ego away from you because you can't escape it. Um, so I th the, the attitude I... The best thing I did was when I went away to go full-time training, um, the guys who I was training with were so far above me in terms of their level. I mean, there's Olympians there, like British team players, and I was coming as a complete novice. Um, when I trained at home, because I was a big, strong guy, I could manage most people just by using strength and aggression. But no matter what I did against those guys, they would absolutely beat the shit out of me. They would throw me 20 times in a practice. And um, so I had to completely readjust my mindset. So I said, right, if I ever fight anyone who's much better than me, I'm not going to go into it and think I need to try and beat them. The only thing I need to think is what can I learn from them? Um, and as soon as I took that attitude, my level just skyrocketed then um you know i improved really really quickly um so if you go you know if you go into a competition and you you know realistically you know what guys are better than you and what guys aren't better than you um it, you know judo is one of those sports you can on your day you can sort of catch anyone um things happen quickly um but for the most part, if you go to fight someone who's much better than you, you think, I'll give it everything I've got, but you're sort of on a path of improvement, um, especially with competitions, trying to learn how to manage fights and your tactical play and stuff like that. So you need to you need to be realistic, I guess, and um you know, look at look at um, guys and say, right, I'm gonna fight my hardest, obviously, but I'll I'll use it as a way to try and improve the things that I'm working on and um, whatever. I uh, <clears throat> I like I tried judo and I have never in my life experienced so much blackness in your soul. It's <laughs> <laughs> there's a dark spot, a dark place in your soul, especially kept for judo. And everyone, only a few people find this out, but there's a place in your soul that, yeah. oh my god, uh, like your grip is just gone. The lungs, you feel like your lungs are coming out your mouth. And no. like I was when I was grappling, like I done when I tried my judo, I was a, I had been, I was professionally fighting at this point, and I was decent against the cage. I like the clinch work. The clinch work was where it was for me. I like the clinch to the ground. But I went against this black belt who was just playing with me. And I remember I just said to him, Cockley, maybe Cockley, maybe sort of wanting to know where, where I actually stood with him. I went, listen, treat me with a bit of respect, will you? And just, you know, stop thinking I'm white belt, yeah. have some skills. I may be great, but I'm no sooner with a word in my mouth than I couldn't breathe because it was on my back. I was going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. But it was, I mean... it, it was just insane because I didn't feel 
You can feel it. it, it I, unless you're thrown properly and you know what it's like. And your legs just go from under yeah. And you're on the... It's the most... It's the sport that I could never get the hang of. But it's actually one of the sports that I respect the most. I think if my daughters are going to do judo, because I yeah. always said the concrete, it doesn't matter how big and strong you are, the concrete's still going to hit you hard. And if a girl yeah. can throw you, there's Kushler Rogers over here, she's fucking strong as hell. Like, the guy's just be terrified of her because she can just pick you and throw you. It doesn't matter about muscle at this point. It is the ultimate art of leverage for me. Do you know, it's... It's hard. It's, um, it's hard to explain to people how difficult it is to throw someone properly with a proper judo throw in a when your partner's properly resisting you, the the level of skill that that takes is incredibly high. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought coming from rugby, where you know rugby's pretty brutal, um, I thought, oh, I'll be completely fine doing this. And then I think when I, you know, back in Northern Ireland, judo's not that big. Um, there's not many sort of elite level fighters, hardly any. Um, so most judo clubs are kind of more social clubs. Um, and um, I, I went around different clubs and tried to get as much training as I could. But because, you know, it's mostly guys who just train part time or do it more for enjoyment, you know, thought, well, this is, I'll be, I'll be fine. And then as soon as obviously, you know, I went, away to England to, to train and I was training with boys like Olympic athletes and whatever and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ like I mean I'm, I'm a I would say I'm a pretty tough guy um I'm mentally pretty resilient um I can take a beating um whatever and like training that first year of training there brought me to tears a few times in, in my room like you feel like you just literally can't take another step. You can't get up. It's um, it's pretty pretty brutal. Well, how do you how do you take another step? Because like, I notice like as a fighter, you're it's it's a mindset. But no one I know really wants to do that training when you're sore. There's something about you just it just switch inside you. But what how how do you get yourself from A to B when you knew A was landing, B was beat. I think, I, I think the only way I was able, I'll give you, I'll, I'll run you through what our typical week would have been like. Um, so we, we had the dojo and then about 10 meters away from that, we had a massive porter cabin where we all lived. So it was like two people do a little tiny dorm room, just enough space for two people to lie down on the floor, basically. Um, didn't really have any heating or anything. Um, shared one shower between like 20 of us. Um, you know, it was like one toilet between us all. It was, you know, li living in this like rotten poor the cabin, hectic. Um, but so we did, except for, except for Wednesday, we did three sessions a day. Wednesday would do two. Um, so a normal day would be, um, we'd get up in the morning at like, say at nine or 9.30, we'd do 90 minutes of S&C. So we'd either do weights or like fitness work on the rower or whatever, like whatever was programmed for us. Um, Who programmed so, this? Did you just have actual? Yeah, yeah. So the guy, um, there's a guy, he works with England football. His name is Ben Rosenblatt. 
Um, I think he does most of the S&C stuff for the FA and English. He's on the, he's on the board of the judo club. Um, so he, <clears throat> he sent us all our programs. Um, so we do uh, like 90 minutes of say weights or whatever in the morning. And then we'd have about an hour's rest. And then we would do a technical session. Um, obviously like you're flat out in the gym for night. That's a hard 90 minute gym session. Then you're going on and doing a technical session for 90 minutes, which, you know, you're throwing each other for 90 minutes. Or working, people don't, you're people working don't appreciate that, what that means. Like that just sounds off throwing each other. Until you've manipulated bodies, it's actually right. the hardest way to do there, There's no training, no mm. weight left in the world, maybe sandbags that could mm. maybe could replicate what it's like if you just pick dead weight bodies up and down, mm. up and down. So we're we're launching each other onto the mats for 90 minutes. So like you come off that and you're absolutely busted. Um, and then you'd have the afternoon and sort of early evening off to rest. So most people would just sleep the whole time or eat or, you know, really not do anything. Um, and then in the evening we'd have two hours of sparring. So we'd have probably the guts of 40 people, 30, 40 people on the mat. And you go on it eight o'clock and you do probably 10 minute warm up of you know bear crawls and all that kind of kind of stuff and then you probably do 10 minutes of throwing each other to get warm and then the rest of the session you're just fighting each other flat out and then you do that five days a week <laughs> so tell me like what is it that you you, you were getting paid for this weekend sponsored or what was it no 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 so as well basically if you get to a certain level within british judo you'll get funding they then stop that so they they tried to centralize all the training so they basically started up a center of excellence they called it um in walsall and said if you're basically if you don't train here you're not getting any funding um so most most people stayed at their own clubs, but yeah, um, if you like, if you were at my club, you basically had to do it on your own. Um, we paid the club fifty quid a week for our bed and our training, and then you had obviously eat. You had to try and fund going to competitions, whatever. So for my for the first year or so, I was there. I was on the dole. Um, so I bluffed that for about a year um that gave me enough money to for my bed and my training and a little bit of food um and then all the, like outside of that you're relying on whatever work you can get at a weekend or handouts from people or you know just literally doing whatever you could just to get by i think that type of attitude though it's like it makes you realize it, it, it hardens you but it makes you realize you can survive on so much less than you believe. It's a, I think society oh. made us believe that we believe this, that, and the other. You don't. Have you got a dream, got a purpose? I find it's like it's so much easier to make those sacrifices. Yeah, we had a, you know, for the most part, nearly everyone there had no money. Like literally, people were thinking, "I don't know why I'm going to feed myself this week." Like that, you had literally nothing. But it, it shows you. When people have a purpose and they're chasing something, they don't need anything else. 
all we needed was a bed to sleep in, food in our stomach, and our judo kits, and we could go and train. That's all, you know, that's all we needed. I'm curious to know, did the, 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 the tribal community start evolving that way? Shaq, you know, if you had food and someone didn't, you would share it, and then they would share it with, did that sort of thing happen, or was it like, fuck you? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some weeks, you know, for the most part, you know, you obviously get the very odd person who's not much of a team player, but in general, everyone looked after each other. If it was, you know, mate, I've got literally no money, then they would eat off my plate or I would eat off their plate for, you know. That's, like, where, bonds are, that's where bonds are built, though. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, one of the guys um, who I lived with at the, at the club is now godfather to my kid. Right. Um, yeah, you know, and you, you've got mates for life there because the boys are literally putting food in your mouth when you don't have anything. It's the struggle. It's like, that's why, you know, like, okay, you may, you, people may slap about the army and paid soldiers killing people, like that, but when you, the, those soldiers are in a war, they're not fighting for queen or country. They're fighting for the guys beside them because those guys have been mm. through shit with them and it's their, it's their <laughs> friends they're fighting for, you know, it's, they're not thinking about the political picture. They're thinking about the there and the now. And I'm sure yeah. when you see him you, you aren't thinking about the political picture or the big, bigger picture. No, no. Just, it's like, these are friends, your team, and you're helping each other along. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying for a minute, yeah, I would, I'm not saying for a minute that us doing judo is anything like being no. in the army, but it's a similar, similar no. mindset, you know, mindset. It is, it is in the sense that in the community feeling, maybe not killing people or fighting mm -hmm. against it, but you are fighting, <laughs> you're fighting each other, but you are, you are, in a struggle together, that's I think that's what the, the main thing I'm talking about. Is there's a struggle that yeah. only you are suffering and you are sharing, and it's yeah. very hard for the outside world to understand that suffering because it's, um, it's one of those things you just can't possibly understand it unless you've done it. Um, and I, I don't like to say that because it sounds kind of condescending to people as if like, oh, you can't understand unless you've done it. But, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it, it I mean it's it's brutal um but saying that it's probably it's definitely the least stressed i've ever been in my life living like that um, I'm, uh, I'm reading a book called the awakened the i've just finished it i'm only about a third time now but you love it it's brilliant but it literally talks about the struggle it talks about you know why uh, these tribes and in, in, in different parts of remote amazon and all and how they don't even have a word for stress even though yeah. every single day They've got the cunt and they don't know when their food's coming, but they don't, they just laugh at everything. There was a story to tell about a, one of the guys was hunting and a gazelle scared, scared him with a horn in the, in the groin and he was bleeding. Yeah. And around the campfire, they're all slagging the bollocks out of him. They're all like, Rrr! and demonstrating, <laughs> showing how to, they're all laughing at it. Over here, if we go that, people would be like triggered and offended and all how terrible, but it's there's a different mindset towards they're not making fun of you they're sharing an experience and because they're so yeah. they're so uh secure in their environment that it's not yeah. an insult and i think if you go through struggle in any way if you're part of a team that that sort of banter comes across you know your friends are slagging you but it's not making fun of you do you know and that yeah. thing actually oh, the, the banter the banter that we had in that house just unbelievable um and the thing i noticed about it it's very insular, obviously. Um, you know, you've got like 20 guys and girls living under one little roof. We've all got one purpose. It's like the outside world basically doesn't exist. And I found 
you know, when you meet people in real life, they've all got a little bit of a face on. Um, it's kind of like we all just act this particular way because, you know, society dictates that we behave that way. I, I felt that when we were in that environment, all that was sort of lifted. The, the boundaries were sort of pushed out a little bit and people were more themselves almost. That's, that's good. Um, that's what you want. It gives you a taste of what society could be like if we got rid of all the bullshit. Uh, it definitely, um, it, it definitely made me reassess. You know, because I, I came from a very sort of comfortable middle class upbringing. Um, parents both had good jobs, went to a good school. Um, had opportunities. You, know, uh, you just you see the world in a particular particular way and then when I went to live there it changed the way I looked at the world completely it's like it shattered my entire perception of the world and one I think when you're in a situation like that and you look out at the rest of the world and you think you kind of think what the hell are people are people doing um I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise no 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 I know he's like a he's a war war hero veteran or whatever, and he you know he's standing up in this office with um with a lawyer, this woman, and he's looking out the window and he sees all these people working in their little offices and their little boxes and whatever, and he says to her, um, you know, I went away to war and you're fighting for something, and when you come back and you look out the window and you see that this is what. I've been fighting for for people to live in this misery you know it um I thought that was quite profound and you have to be realistic too there's like you know there's real there's realities to life and you can't just live in a little box in the woods the rest of your life but um well you can if you want there's some people do <laughs> well no probably not if you want kids and you know no. that kind of stuff. but um it certainly um it made me think if if more people did stuff like this, they would look at the world very, very differently, I think, in a good way. So tell me this then, you know the sacrifice is required to actually get yourself to where you want to go. Mm. And you've just told me you're actually going to go for the Commonwealth team. That's the plan, yeah. So how are you going to do that with a one-year-old and one on the way and a wife who's obviously the most well, important woman in the world? <laughs> I, I think... So I let myself go pretty badly there. And, you know, you know, when you hit that point where you just kind of look at yourself and think, right, I'm a bit of a disgrace. I need to sort my life out. And um, so I started, I started back training in December. I just thought I'll go for a little run or do whatever. Um, and as soon as I started training again, you know, like that competitive fire gets stoked up. And I thought, right. I need to sort my life out and and, and uh, get back in shape. And then after a few weeks, and I started, you know, training started to improve. Um, you you know, I'm 34 now, so I'm not old old, but in terms of being a competitive athlete, I'm old. Um, and you kind of say maybe I've got a bit, I've got a bit left in the tank there. I could, you know, I could give. Um, and immediately, as soon as I started training again, I found that the rest of my life just fell more into order. Um, you just, you're just a better person training. So I said, 
I don't want to. I don't want to finish up and feel like I could have done a bit more. Um, so I said, I, I, I'm going to set myself a challenge of getting back in shape and trying to qualify for the Commonwealth Games next year. And um, I think I was realistic at, at the start and said, like, you know, I've got a one-year-old, I've got another child on the way. Um, there's only so much I can do, but. Um, what I can do is just control the things that I can control. And maybe, you know, my best now won't be as good as my best would have been five years ago when I had nothing to do except train. But this in itself is probably a bigger challenge than that was. Because if you have literally nothing else to do, you can train three times a day. When you've got kids, when you've got kids and bills and you know, stress of life, 99% of people will just say, I can't do this. Um, so I sort of said to myself, this is a good opportunity to say that you're not one of the 99% that you can persevere through all that stress and, you know, having to look after kids and work and, you know, do whatever. So um, in a way, it was, I kind of saw it as a little just like a little challenge that I could try and overcome, um, you know, and cause I, I'm always one of the, I'm one of these people very similar to you that when you know someone says, Oh, I can't train because I've got kids or I say, shut the fuck up. That's just a bullshit excuse you're giving yourself. Um, and, I've all, <laughs> yeah, and I've always said that. So I thought to myself, I'd be a bit of a hypocrite. If now when my kids turn up, I sit here and let myself become a fat mess. Um, so I sort of said, right, I've got to put my money where my mouth is and prove that, you know, it is these things are just excuses and that you can do it if you're disciplined enough. I'd also say, like, I know he's a bit young at the moment, but you're talking two years' time. Like, I look at Evelyn, I put a video up of the SMA four-year-old the other week with me and oh, the kettlebells. The kettlebell together. Yeah. Like, he will come to that point where he's going to be looking up at you as the, the strongest, the, the most brilliant, mm. poor chance. Yeah. But like, you know, the most perfect human being there is, he's the, you're going to be his hero. Mm. And if he sees you doing that, then that's that's his reality. That's his perspective of life. Yeah. If he's sitting on the sofa, drinking beer, eating pizza, that's his reality of life. Do you know? No. So yeah. there, the, I would also be using that. I'd always be using that as a... I was like, fuck, my kid's watching, you know. I said, that's one of my lines at that ball Bible. Train like your kid's watching you. Because yeah. if you know your child's watching, I guarantee you're going to find 30% extra. Yeah, that's, um, I find, I actually said, the, so I can't remember, I said to someone the other day, now that I'm back training and um, sort of eating well, I think now that I'm a dad, I'm actually better for it. I'm more disciplined and, um, it's given me an extra an extra drive. I think when I'm only accountable to myself, I take the easy way out too often. But when you're more when you're accountable to your family, it gives you a bit of extra a bit of extra motivation. And um, I I certainly think with him, um, I think you know in 16, 17 years time, he's going to be a young buck and he's probably going to be doing judo or rugby or whatever. And you know, I need to, he needs to look at me as an example of how you should treat your body and what, you know, what you can do with your, do with yourself. And, you know, I want to be able to train with him and 
do things with them when I'm 50 um, and not just be sad like a fat mess on the sofa, you know? Yeah, I mean, what, I, what I find funny about judo compared to like, okay, you're from, you're from the north, I'm from the north. Boxing is massive over here. You know, the Troubles created like communities of boxing and boxing was amazing for like the Troubles in Northern Ireland. It got so many kids, stopped them joining mm -hmm. paramilitaries, brought them together and the respect it had. Judo doesn't seem to have had that effect. And I, I find that very strange because for me, judo is a better outlet than boxing in the sense that it's not as brutal, like punching faces. Like it's, it's hushing, you know, it's, I know boxing's an art and it's amazing and it's done amazing, but ultimately your kids getting punched in the face from eight years old and they don't know that head trauma. Whereas judo, it teaches you like there is no way out when someone grabs you, you're fighting for your life. The cardio, again, the, the the opportunities. Why do you think judo did not take off the way boxing did over here? I I've thought about that fast and I'm not. I'm not really sure because it's not because it's not because of what judo is because judo is a massive in other countries um <clears throat> like enormous it's one of the most participated in sports in the world just in ireland and down south actually probably better than in northern ireland um but northern ireland seems to, seems to have fallen so far behind and i don't know why like i mean over here I'd say probably within 15 miles of me, there's about 10 judo businesses that go, um, you know, teaching schools. They're, each coach is probably teaching you know, 500 kids, you know, whatever. And that's just within a short little. So over here, it's pretty big and it's definitely becoming more mainstream and whatever. But for an Olympic sport, and you go to say a judo club in Northern Ireland and there's like three people on the mat you think there's something drastically wrong you know why is that um, what, what what have we done wrong over here because like the way i see it is judo is the art like obesity in kids is getting properly bad mm. um yeah you're in a sexist sort of world we live it was like boxing boys gymnastics girls type of thing you know boxing yeah. why why have we not fucking got judo in every school why have we not got all the girls doing judo what what are what are we doing wrong over here that's preventing such an amazing art from I think more exposure? I think once it sort of fell off the cliff a bit, it's really difficult to, for it to climb back up. So what I see back home with Judo now is it feels a bit like they've just accepted defeat, knuckled under a bit and said, We've got maybe a handful of like sort of proper competitive players. We'll just focus everything on them and the rest is just, you know, whatever. Um, I I really don't know. It's maybe just not having the right people in the right positions. I mean, you look at BJ, you look at BJJ, which is huge now. BJJ over here is massive. It's becoming just bigger and bigger and bigger. And they just they've marketed themselves well. Um I think. I think with judo as well, um, it's it's big among kids. It's difficult to keep adults involved because it's because it's so brutal and it's so difficult. Um, I think in Northern Ireland, there's been a real lack of quality coaching. Um, there's some there's some great coaches. Don't get me wrong, but there's not, they're few and far between. Um, 
so as for adults who get into it, they they don't really progress very well. And because it's so brutal and so hard, if you're doing something that's really brutal and you're not really progressing, everyone just drops out. Um, I think BJJ has that advantage over judo where it's much easier for 40, 50-year-old men to do it. You know, 50-year-old men don't like getting thrown and, you know, it's, it's I'll tell you where, where I think it's wrong. Now, this is only my own personal experience. Um, I trained, uh, judo was actually my first martial art when I was seven, right, under Jimmy Ward. And I thought his death was actually a big loss to the Northern Ireland judo community. Jimmy did see, mm. regardless of if people liked him or not, um, his push, his drive towards making judo bigger was unbelievable. He, like, he produced an Olympian son. But yes, Karen, yeah. the family, like this is my personal experience. I walked up to Jimmy Ward's Karen Ward's thing and I did not feel welcome. Really? So I, I felt like I was an outsider because I told him I was MMA and I was automatically shunned and I could feel that sense and I'll tell you a story like and it, it, it didn't annoy me I was like I've been turned up every single week and I'm like I'm pitching here but I'm, not, I'm just giving an example and um, uh, done my best shit was getting my ass kicked turned up every day bought the gay 80 quid in the new gay just wanted to really get a go of it told him I was doing MMA but I wanted to really get in the judo and I really afford it um, there maybe about two months, and then there was a girl came, and she was the Irish BGA champion, and she got, I think she came third in the world or had in the weights, but she was there two days, and he called her out, and he, he invited her and all, and I was like going, well, he welcomed all the new people, but he probably didn't, and I was like, there seems to be political, it was almost like, you know, you're MMA, and I was shunned upon, and I just remember thinking, I'm not feeling very welcome here. I quit. I just went, you know something? I'm not going back there. That's just mm. no, no point. But I felt, I see, I sort of felt that, you know, lack of welcoming. Whereas BJJ, it's all family. It's like, oos, and, you know, you shake hands. Yeah, and, yeah. And th th that makes you, that, 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 that touching, that bonding, it makes you feel part of something. Whereas Definitely. I actually feel part of judo. And that's why, and I, I would have loved the Adon judo. Like, you know what I'm like? I love the martial arts. But I just was not willing to give money to someone or something that was making me feel that way. BJJ, I think, has been brilliant with that. Um, you know, they're very good at making, what does it SPG say, like one tribe, one vibe, that stuff. They're, they're really good at marketing. Why but, did you, uh, know you know yourself, obviously, training loads of like 40, 50-year-old men who've maybe fallen into jobs they don't like and family life. The, the lack of real sense of belonging to something outside of that. Um, and BJJ is brilliant at giving them that. Whereas judo's, judo's definitely not, um, definitely not good that way. I, I think I was, I was lucky in that. Um, I didn't know any judo clubs because I didn't know judo when I started. And by just pure chance, the first club that popped up when I typed in a Google search was Abbey Judo down at the Valley. And I think if I, I honestly think if I'd gone to nearly any other club, I wouldn't have continued. Just like, you know, just like you've said, um, went down, coach was great. Um, really, really good with making people feel welcome, keeping people involved. Um, and I, I, I've always said that I think if I went to another club instead of Abbey, I never would have continued. Um, 
Big lesson uh, out there. You know, I think I think when you when you're coaching a club and you want to throw your club, you need to see every single person that comes through that door as a potential world champion, as potential a, a club builder. You know, they, they mightn't be the world champion, but they could be the person that helps that world champion you have, you know. Well, you know, I think with me, I Northern Ireland, I think, has a real there's a lot of big fish in a small pond mm-hmm. type mentality with a lot of people. Um you don't get that in Britain because there are genuine big fish, um, but you don't really get that back home. And, you know, you're talking about looking at people as potential world champions or whatever. I, um, I've been training for a few months and whatever. And um, I said to my coach, I want to go over to England and just, you know, have a world because, you know, I, coming from the, full-time rugby I was used to being a full-time athlete and you know this is my goal and I'm going to try and give everything to get it you can't get that in Northern Ireland you have to you sort of have to go to England and get that so when I said that I mean I'd only been doing judo for a matter of months um you know again most people would have laughed me out of the room if I'd said I want to go and train full-time but he said fair enough go over see what you can do and I'll you know I'll help you out um, you know, and for and he did help me out massively, and for that I'll always um, be indebted to the club, and I'll always, you know, when when we come home, I'll never go anywhere else, and I'll always help the club and whatever. And um, but when I made that decision to go away, I think this big fish in the small pond thing. A lot of people sort of said, "What the fuck is he playing at? He's a wanker!" Like you know. It's, that I think that really annoyed me because I looked at the sort of Northern Ireland judo scene and thought there's nobody really fighting at any decent level. No one's even trying to fight at a decent level. You've got a guy here. Yes, I'm inexperienced, but I'm putting my hand up and saying I'm willing to give this a go. I was expecting people to sort of throw their weight behind it a bit and say, like, let's support it. And, you know, instead... I don't know whether it's because it makes people feel a bit more insecure or whatever, but you know, you're exposing their insecurities, their feelings. You're exposing their, their, they don't believe in themselves that much because when you see someone like if I seen someone come after three months, I'd be going, "Man's are everywhere." Well. But at the same time, if someone has that self belief, like Conor mm-hmm. McGregor said it when he was sixteen, "I'm going to be UFC champion of the world." Everyone laughed. Everyone thought he was talking shit, but then mm-hmm. he didn't care. He in his head, he was. And yeah. he did. He became it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, my goal at the time was, I said, I want to, I think coming out of rugby where I'd really let myself down, I always had this idea in my head of, I'm really capable, but unless you actually do something, it means fuck all. So it's kind of sort of said, right, I need to try and prove something to myself. And um, again, just pure luck, typed into Google about full-time judo training and Camberley was the first thing that came up. So I emailed the coach and said, this is my background. You know, I used to be a fairly high level rugby player, blah, blah, blah. Just started judo and can I come over and train? And he said, um, you know, normally they would never take someone of my experience on, but because I had a good athletic background, he said, like, come over and give it a whirl and we'll take it from there. And uh, again, I think if I'd went to any other club in England, they wouldn't even have entertained the idea. They would have just laughed at me and said, fuck who's off. Who's um, the coach over there? Uh, Luke Preston. 
Is he was he well up in the judo association? Is he, is he? Yeah, yeah. So he's a he's an Olymp he was an Olympic coach with Great Britain. Um, but he um when he fought, he fought at the top level. Um, okay. He he was a brilliant player. Um, he trained at Camberley. Um, and then ended up becoming head coach and um, whatever. And again, one of one of these guys just got really lucky with them. Where so nearly any other coach, I think, would have said, "You're not going to win any medals for me." You know, I'm already training Olympic athletes. I'm not really going to get much out of this. They would have just said no. Um, but I went over for a week and trained and got the absolute shit kicked out of me. Um, but I, tra I trained my hardest. I kept getting up. I just kept scrapping, just kept going. Um, and at the end of the week, he said, like, you know, you've got good potential. And if you want to come back, come back and train full time. So we sort of sat down and he's, again, a, a great example of a coach who says, you're, my, you're not going to be Olympic champion, but if you're prepared to give it everything you've got and you want to get, get somewhere, I'll support you. And um, I respect that. So he said, like, let's just give it a whirl and wherever you get to, you get to. Obviously, we're working against the clock. So, you know, it would have been very easy for him to just turn me away. Um, but he gave me a chance. And, um, you know, for me, like, I, you know, I, I made the British team. And to a lot of guys who I trained with, that, with, you know, they made the British team when they were 20 and then went on to win international medals. It wasn't, wouldn't be a big deal to them. But that was a massive accomplishment for me. Well, 21, um, 29 at the stage or 28? No, I was 30, I think. When, yeah, that's yeah. fucking insanely. Like three years ago yeah. when you've just got yourself on the British team. Uh, oh, um, no, no, that, that, it was a, you know, that was a huge mountain to climb for me. Um, so it was great, but um, again, it just getting the right coach and getting a coach who Luke is a sort of you know the way you get some coaches who they love the limelight. If they think you know, oh, I I've got a little show pony here, and they're going to make me look good, get the suit on and everything, and they're away. And um, Luke was the sort of coach who, if we were going away on a trip somewhere he'd be the one sitting in the back with all the bags on his knee, making sure that we had space to sit in the car. You know, he's that sort of coach. Um, Proper coach. Yeah, he, he'd he sleep on the floor so we could sleep in a bed or, you know, that sort of mentality. Um, and it, he was in charge of like, you know, 20 of us or whatever, but he did his, you know, did his best by everyone. And um, I said that, I said the other day, uh, a, a, a proper coach is like the foundation of the house. Mm. It's the foundation of the pyramid. You know, you don't see it. It's ugly. He, he doesn't yeah. get praise. But without that foundation, the rest yeah. of it can't build up. And he built that house from the foundation. And I think a true coach knows yeah. that and is prepared to make his sacrifices because that's his purpose. Your, your purpose yeah. is to get yourself in the limelight and do that. His purpose is to yeah. be able to facilitate that. Yeah. And, um, you know, he really he had a really difficult job. Um He's coaching a, a large group of players um, full time, and all those players are at different levels, and they need diff they need different things. It's not like they're all the exact. You know, if you have a football team, they're all at the pretty much exactly the same level. You know, he's coaching twenty judo players who are all at very very different levels. Um, so all, that, have be, that was, all have to be approached differently because 
What I learned about fighting is some fighters need to be told to shut the fuck up. Other fighters mm. need to hug them, hug them, you know, even though they're maybe tough guys, they're still insecure and they need that sort of armor and the shoulder thing. And that's the skill, well, I think. He um he has a degree in psychology, I think. Right. Um and I have to admit he was a master at that. Um we had a you know a big group of people from all walks of life the biggest melting pot of head cases and i mean you need, you need to be a bit of a nutcase to do martial arts full time um so you've got this crazy group of people together who are all so so different um and all need to be approached differently um and that that's a huge huge skill in coaching i think is being adaptable to different personalities instead of saying this is how I coach and you all just need to get on board with how I coach. Treating it, you know, treating people, knowing maybe this guy's a bit more responsible with the strength and conditioning and I know he's going to do it. I don't need to look over his shoulder and, you know, do all various bits and bits and bobs, but um, tough job, but he did, did really well. So tell me this, we're in lockdown, we're about to hit an economic shitstorm, we all know it's coming. And there's going to be a lot of depression, a lot of unemployment, a lot of crap that a lot of families are going to face right now. In in my experience and in, uh, what I know from the troubles and being in from a deprived area, sport is the outlet to stop suicides, to stop mm. depression. How do we in Northern Ireland implement a judo structure the way boxing have implemented boxing? Because... We are from such a deprived areas, and um, from deprived areas come hardship. Hardship become comes from hardship comes mm. athletes and potential gold medal winning potential. How do we mm. tap into that? Because there is so much untapped potential. But Northern Ireland, I find, is uh, it's like the most untapped source yeah. for fighters. Because definitely. So how do we tap into that and make Northern Ireland like not equal with GB because of the population size, but you know, put it on the map. I. I remember having this argument with Northern Ireland judo guys on a, a Facebook post, and you know, yes, Northern Ireland's a small country, but if you if you compare population size to say England, relatively speaking, we're still miles behind in terms of you know if they're producing say two elite level judo players for every ten million people, we're producing none essentially, or you know they're making they're producing three and we're producing one you know relative to the population size um so something's something's not right um i think the best way forward is to try and get it into schools more um which is hopefully you know is what i'll plan to do when i come back um because you can you can have them in something different you've seen different what would you do differently to change this so the way it generally works over here i know there's a couple of guys do it back home um but I mean, it's it's far more widespread here where guys will set up their own individual businesses. They'll approach schools and say, can you let me come in and do a demo in your assembly? You'll go in um, and they'll do a demo in front of an assembly. They'll give everyone a sheet to take home to their parents and say, I'm doing an after school club, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever. Parents love it because it means they don't have to pick their kids up so early from school and they're doing productive. Um, so you kind of, you get so many more numbers. 
in and then what people do is then they set up their own clubs on the side or they're already affiliated with a club and any kids from their school classes who have potential or want to continue on they just feed them into their club into the club i think when you look at me you know i'm a, a probably quite a good example of this i'm a huge sports guy love sport all sports i got to 27 years old and i'd never even heard of judo and unless you start exposing schools and the wider population to it all those good athletes end up playing rugby or they end up somewhere else um had i been given the option to do judo instead of rugby when i was younger i may well have taken that option up and i could have gone much further than i did whatever but for me i've only heard about judo when i was 27 as criminal um i just i don't know how that's allowed how that's being allowed to happen what wrecks me is we live in a like Northern Ireland for populace. The real suicide, especially young young males, is frightening. Like, and I'm big in this. Everyone knows. I've, I've always spoke about my suicide attempts and my depressions, so I understand that, you know. But without, like, for me, Davy Patterson, the coach, without Davy Patterson, I wouldn't be the man I am. He he took me under his wing and he helped me become the person I became. But without him, I don't know where I'd be. I could be dead right now. Mm. And there's so many kids that just didn't get a chance because they weren't mm. exposed. They were exposed to drugs. They were exposed to peer uh, peer influences that weren't good. How the fuck do we stop this? Because judo has the potential to cross divides, to get to get fitness, to show children that they are capable of so much more if they're willing to mm. put the effort in, and to show them that the struggle is in themselves. And mm. I just don't know how it needs to happen. I've done so many sports in my life, and by Far, it's not even close. I think judo is by far the best for that sort of thing. Um, it, it teaches people so much resilience um, and gives you such a sense of like purpose and determination that I've never seen in another sport. And there's so many great people in the judo communities or just grappling communities in general. And you know, I, I remember walking in. Uh, walking off after my first session and this whole world had just been opened up to me with all these people I'd never knew existed and this incredible sport. And I thought, how, how have I not had a chance to do this sooner? Um, that's all I Our society is broken if we're relying on individuals to start splintering off and trying to do these things on their own. Um, until this stuff becomes mainstream, you should be teaching you should be teaching kids martial arts or similar things the way you teach them English and math. And 100%. until until our society as a whole gets a grasp on how important it is, because it is equally important in my opinion. I think it's actually mm. more important. Genuinely, yeah. you you yeah. you lose English math. I'm not saying of course English math is important, but. You can get by with the maths, but you can't get by with that self self belief. You can't get by if you have the self belief from judo or something like that. Then you'll have the self belief to learn English maths. The, yeah. the reverse isn't true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I find that from I was always very erratic emotionally. Um, I think anyone that knows me would probably tell you that. I mean good or bad my emotions ruled me for a long time and until I, that never changed until i started doing judo um and now i feel like i'm quite 
Um, what was it? What was, what was it? Yeah. What was it in judo that made you change? That rugby didn't. I don't know. I think because you, you don't have that hiding place when you're grappling, it, it really does knock the ego out of you. And it's sort of, you know, that old, like you get knocked down nine times, you just get up 10 and um, it, it really drives that into your head. And I think because grappling is so intense, when you're used to those short bursts of really high intensity, the rest of your life seems quite calm. Almost. And I ask this question to a lot of people because, for me, like I look up, I look back. I'm I'm very retrospective. I'll, I'll almost think back in life and think, why did I do that? And why did I do this? And what made me think this way? And even through all the suicide attempts, and even through all the depressions and all the feelings, I've never quit. You know, mm. I'm, I'm, yes, well, okay, I, I did try suicide, and I was lucky. I didn't succeed. I was shit at it. Thank God. But you know, from when I recovered from it. I'm back on board with something else and I've got some dreams and I've always had pipe dreams. People are telling me, you're mad doing that. I was told, don't do MMA. Don't do cage fighting. You're stupid. Don't mm -hmm. open a gym. You're stupid. Don't go bankrupt. You're stupid. You know, every, don't open that other gym. You're stupid. Everything is mm -hmm. someone's told me not to do. I went, fuck you. I'm going to do it. And because I continue to do that and I, even though I don't have, I, I lack self-belief, I believe in myself in a weird way. It's, you know, I always just, something drove me inside. I had to do this. And mm -hmm. I just, when someone told me you can't do it, I'm like, well, fuck you, I will. And I think, I think that comes from martial arts. I think fighting and, you know, grappling is so, it's the most reflective thing of real life where, you know, life will put you down on your knees whether you want it to or not, just like grappling or fighting will. And you know that, right, I've just been knocked down and if I can just find the courage to just get up and go again the next time will be a bit easier or you learn all these lessons along the way and every session like you know you do judo every session you do someone knocks your pan in you get knocked down and but you just keep saying right i'll just stand up the next time and i'll get on with it and the next time it becomes a bit easier and um it teaches you just to keep coming back and not not throw the towel in and keep sort of striving towards a goal at the end of things and you know you get there in the end and I, I think I, I can't believe that this stuff isn't more mainstream um I think to myself if you if you literally chopped out half the shit that they teach kids in school and taught them how to cook properly taught them how to yes. eat, taught them proper nutrition taught them how to train properly the world would be an infinitely better place you know if kids all kids were doing martial arts instead of trigonometry. 100%. If we taught kids how to change doorknobs, light bulbs, talking how to mm. cook a food, how to, how to look after a home, real life skills, mm. instead of focusing on like history, which is all lies mm. anyway, geography, mm. so, as I'm making them really important subjects, but forgetting that when you leave school, unless you're a geologist, geography will never be taught mm. again, unless you're a historian. And our relationship mm. history, history is never going to influence your life. But how, think, to play, how to change an app, how to do all those things, they are life skills you need to learn. I think um, with that, you know, it would obviously be an enormous task. Um, but there's so there's obviously general ed education stuff you need to know, yes. math, English, whatever. But most of the rest of it is more specialized stuff. Um, you should only really be specializing in things when you're an adult, in my opinion. Um, they essentially say to you at 16, 
pick your A-levels, that's going to decide what university course you go to and that will dictate the rest of your life. A 16-year-old literally can't tie their own shoelaces, never mind decide what they want to do with the rest of their life. I'm a bucker. That's literally a 16-year-old mindset. At 16, give people the general skills that will see them through life, how to cook properly, proper nutrition, how to train and be healthy and be mentally fit. Um, And then when they're in their 20s, let them go specialise and let them get some life experience and then try and specialise in whatever you want to specialise in. And the whole the whole thing's just not it's broken. So you're also in a unique position because we talked about this the other day, but I want to talk about it now. Um, you're also a purple belt in BJJ under Hoyler Gracie? Yeah, Carlson Gracie, Carson four Gracie. stripe blue. Oh, you're four stripe blue? I thought you were purple. No, so, no one, one stripe, but I haven't done BJJ in ages. Right, okay. So the one I want to say is, when I done Juno when I was eight, Juno was a full art. There was a ground game on it, there was triangle, there was arm bars, there was everything. There was time to grapple the floor, there was leg sweeps, there was t- leg grabs, takedowns. Over the last 20, 30 years, maybe more, it's been diluted down to a point. And I understand why they're saying they want to make it more dynamic for sport and try to try to um, entice more people to do it. And it makes it more dynamic in the actual watching of it. But in my opinion, what they've done is they left the gulf that BJJ has filled and BJJ has capitalized yeah. on. And judo is now falling to the wayside. Yeah. Do you think the rules have been detrimental, or do you see? Can you see the positives in removing the art and taking out techniques? Do you not think, like by removing techniques and not teaching future generations these techniques, then and relying them to go to BJJ, that they're exposed mm-hmm. to another art that is more complete, maybe? Yeah. Um, this is always the danger when um, you focus on. Um, the sports side of anything, people become ultra specialized in it. And um, so everyone basically says, um, I'm going to be really specialized in these four or five things and forget everything else. Um, I think this is, this is definitely one of the negatives of promoting it more as a sport. I mean, there's loads of positives of promoting it more as a sport um, because the age that we live in it's all about you know people want entertainment they want um they want to see flashy highlight videos and you know very there's very few purists left in the world who say i want to go and i want to get the the entire curriculum or the you know and learn every single technique and i mean i remember when i you know when i started judo and someone came to our club to teach a kata class and I thought to myself, fuck that, I'm not doing that shit. Um, all I want to do is fight people. Um, so it's hard, but I, I know in my head, if I really worked on kata and got really good at it, I would be a far better competitive player. I mean, sorry, what's kata? And I know a kata is in the karate, but what's kata in judo? It, it applies to kata, you know, saying you're doing kata and karate, and yeah. it's... Um, there's no resistance and it's all very deliberate and sequenced and it's like a routine and um you work with a partner obviously i'm saying that you have to yeah yeah you, you know, you'll work with a partner and you'll slowly do all the techniques and you'll do everything perfectly and correctly and um because that's not a really fundamental part of judo though is that not really important well all the say japanese would 
would do that when they were kids, but um, yes, in the world, maybe that, yeah, that's why they're so good. But we don't have you know we don't have the time to do that. And if you look at kata and judo, you'll say you'll take a technique. You have to modify that technique most of the time to make it properly properly applicable in a live scenario. So people just train. You know, I never practice anything the way the kata would dictate to practice it. I practice it in a live scenario. Is know. that right or is that wrong? In your opinion? No, that's wrong. Jeez, that's wrong. definitely wrong. Um, so why do you do again, it? Because I, have, because I have to take a shortcut. Because I started so late, I didn't have the time to fit around doing, you know, I, I started late and said, I have to get the most out of this competitive stuff Makes in sense. the shortest space of time that I can. Um, and because people, you know, I, you see it all the time in judo clubs, you'll get guys walking through the door for the first time in their 30s or 40s. And, you know, if people don't progress quick enough, they leave. Um, so there's always that shortcut taken to try and keep people progressing and keep them interested. Um and unfortunately, you're sort of go, you're sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face with that. Um, and long term, it, people's technique isn't isn't right and isn't particularly good. And but unless you get people from when they're a young age, I don't really. It's hard to see the way around it, you know. Yeah. So you you see, the only way you're going to improve this is by getting the kids in at four and five and teaching them. Maybe. Yeah. So how do you make judo fun for a four or five year old? You play more games, um, so like I've I've coached for quite a few, um, you know, businesses over here and, and schools and stuff, and for the the really young kids, it's more it's more about physical development. Um, so sort of just getting them used to how to use their body and how to move properly. Essentially, you throw in a bit of judo in in the middle, throw in a few basic techniques, and teach them some of the terminology and. Um, you know, but for the most part, it's about them having fun and um, trying to just physically develop. Because, um, you know, even with, you see adults turning up to judo classes and judo is very, very difficult because you have to use both your hands and both your feet simultaneously. And you have to do it with a partner <laughs> who's also moving and everything has to be very precise, so it's really difficult to do it in a fluid in a fluid way. Um, and you, again, you get adults coming in who literally can't put their right foot in front of their left, um, and it, it's hard to go back to that really basic starting point of this is how you need to learn how to use your body correctly before you can start even thinking about doing techniques and and stuff. So. Um, yeah, with the kids, it's it's just trying to get them. It's always that balance between giving them enough that they want to keep going, but doing enough of the right stuff that um, they'll be good enough to do it long term. It's, it's kind of like a hard balance, I, I think, to find. So we'll finish off with a bit of the club, go, go pick kids up here myself. So last question, where do you see judo in UK, Northern Ireland in 10 years? <laughs> I don't know. I think um, he's on the he's on the right path for 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 growth, or are you stagnating, or is it? The, the, from the, what I see, in 
on in the mainland UK, yes. Um, I see more bit like judo businesses popping up all over the place. Um, far more kids in schools are getting exposed to judo from an early age um, because there's that because there's an incentive for the coaches to do it because they're getting paid. Um, you know, it's a business for them and that idea is spreading and they're getting into far more schools. Um, and it's one of those things that snowballs because people see how good it is and it snowballs. Back back home, they probably don't really see that just yet. Um, hopefully, I'm going to come back and do what I you know do what I can and and try and make it my uh, life's work as such. To Get your ass back because there's four kids in this house need something like that. Man, <laughs> like, there's there's three girls, there's two girls. There's actually well, my daughter Sive, she is just she's me. She's strong as. <laughs> she's seven she is strong as fuck she's got potential Gail's wee one Lucia I have never seen a child as athletic in my life that child is going to be one of you job you know like she just needs confidence and I think that's where she's lacking she's lacking confidence in herself and that's what judo BJJ can teach them and then you've got the, the, the four of them need to get it and there just needs to be more exposure I just want kids to be able to the, the potential for kids to have the they achieve more in life when they're exposed to like hardship and struggle at an early age. It's just, it just can't be overemphasized. I, I think the, um, the, the responsibility is really on individuals to do it because governing. You, you lost your, lost your, lost your volume, mate. Lost your. Got me now. Yeah, I lost you there. What'd you say? No, lost you again. <laughs> Your internet shit. <laughs> Got me. Gotcha. Hear me now. Hear you now. I think um, the responsibility is on individuals because governing bodies are made up of people who are, it's a career for them. Very rare that you get someone who is really concerned about the big picture. They go in, they want to do their job, and that's all they really care about. They're not, you know, really that invested in the growth of judo, you that's know, that go in. They, they get paid to do their job and whatever. I think the only way to really grow it is to go down this route of, you know, personal businesses where people, there's that incentive for, for coaches to, um, to do it. Um, and again, it's, it's cheaper than childcare for parents. Um, <laughs> That's actually true though. Yeah, it's not, I mean, not ridiculous though. It's not really um, odd that, you know. It's crazy. You know, you see it's a, a five or a session or whatever, you, you know, for an hour, whatever, you send your kid to do something really it's worthwhile. Yeah. So um, I think that's really the future and it's trying to get as many, as many people into that as possible. Uh, and, and just build it and the more the more exposure kids and I think the thing is with coaches if they can get into some good schools you've got year after year of pupils coming through so you've always got that steady feed of people um, and that that itself will naturally just grow the numbers that end up in clubs and then the more people that are on the map in the club you know you're going to get better players coming out of that in general. The standard will improve and then it'll just snowball really from, from well, there, hopefully. Let's hope you're right. We'll leave it there, mate. Just before you go, uh, 10 quid says that at the end of the season, this team beats United. What do you say? Dale, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cromwell video saying that. <laughs> We've got a better manager now. So, I mean, we'll leave it there. I mean, that was actually really good talk. I enjoyed delving into judo because it's something I've never really talked about, to be honest. And it's a, a sport that I think a lot of exposure, if he gets more exposure to kids to it, it could really uh, grow exponentially. So, thank Absolutely. you for your time, mate, and hopefully you'll see us soon. Cheers. Back. Awesome. Nice one, mate.